Welcome to Why Everybody Hates You, an audio support group for reputation professionals. If you have any responsibility for how people talk, think, and feel about your organization, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, reputation coach, Daisy Powell Chandler. In this third season of Why Everybody Hates You, I'm bringing you a series focused on the link between reputation and sustainability, covering everything from human rights to climate change, lobbying to labelling. Public First recently partnered with responsible business consultancy Brody to find out what the public think about a host of these issues. You can find a link to the full report in the podcast description. And I'll be discussing some highlights of that data with a selection of experts and offering you guidance on what it all means for corporate reputation. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Imogen Hitchcock, owner of communications agency Beaumont. Imogen helps companies to tell better stories and has a particular expertise in employee advocacy programs. I asked her onto the podcast to chat about why and how organisations should better articulate their work on sustainability. Hi Imogen, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you. Hi Daisy, it's a pleasure. I'm so looking forward to chatting with you about this report. Oh yes, and there is one particular part that I really want to pick your brains on. And that is that when we're talking about sustainability and corporate responsibility, For those of us who work in campaigns and comms, obviously the mind turns pretty swiftly to corporate advocacy. And there's some really interesting results in here about the ways in which the public thinks about who is responsible for different types of sustainability issue with some really clear findings that for the most part, they expect businesses to look after things like pay and employees and social issues, but that on the environment, they really expect the government to take the lead. Does that let businesses off the hook? I don't think so. I think it would be really easy for a company to say, look at this report and say, well, our customers don't think we should be doing anything about it. So let's concentrate on something we should be doing something about. But I think that's kind of a short term approach. I think businesses need to step back and think about the bigger picture. So think about first your employees. If you want to be an employer of choice, you are going to have to do things, say things, act in a way that your potential employees want to work in. You'll find it very difficult to recruit and then retain the best and the brightest out there if you don't proudly and loudly talk about what your business believes in, what its purpose is. I saw some very interesting research that came out of Ariel, actually recently, um, owned by Procter & Gamble. In their employee survey this year, 79% of their employees agreed that sustainability was a business priority in that that organisation. That really chimes with what we've seen in the research, because there's incredibly high levels of concern amongst the whole population about a whole host of sustainability issues. And especially around climate change, we see real levels of pessimism and and worry throughout the population. I think businesses having a voice and speaking out about some of these topics is also really important when it comes to building rapport and building reputation. If you get to a crisis point, 
You want to know that your consumers, your customers are going to trust you to do the right thing, whether it's expected or not. If you stay quiet on some of these issues, you are not adding to the savings, I guess, the savings bank of reputation. And therefore, it's going to be very hard for you as a business to come back from a big crisis or a big issue. And completely agree on that. And I think there's another point in here about the way in which legislators and regulators view companies from a reputation point of view, showing the people who make the laws give you your license to operate in a particular market that you are amongst the people showing best practice on an issue means that when they're putting together new regulation, you'll be amongst the people they consult rather than being the reason why they want new regulation in place because there are problems. I think the sad thing about a lot of businesses is they're already doing this great work, but they're not talking about it and they're scared to talk about it. Um, Maybe because they're not going as far as they want to, maybe because progress has been slower than they expected. But if you're not out there and talking about what you're doing, then no one is going to come to you. Like you say, regulators are not going to come to you and ask for your opinion. I think it's important to remember with all of these elements of of ESG, sustainability, whatever you want to call it, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be doing something. And I don't think there is an expectation of businesses to be doing everything perfectly. They're not. No, not at all. They're not I think NGOs. consumers. <laughs> no, I think consumers get really suspicious, actually. I think, you know, consumers can smell BS. They, they really hate hypocrisy. And because they are very worried about all this stuff, if a company comes up and says, oh, it's really easy and we're doing it, I think, first of all, they might say, well, why have you kept quiet about it for so long? And second of all, they're going to think, that sounds too good to be true because it probably is. It is, and it's never an easy process. All of these issues that the report highlights are not quick fixes. They're not things you can change and and do overnight. These are long-term change projects. This is about changing everything from the way you work to the way you hire to the way you make your products. And I don't think our consumers are expecting us to be able to change the way we do business overnight. They know, they understand it's a longer process, but they do want to see milestones. They do want to see that something is happening. It's like any change program internally. And I think that aligns so well with corporate advocacy, actually, because much though all of us would love to be able to roll out a campaign and make change instantly, uh, or at least over the next year, in truth, a lot of what we do is really about the next five, 10 years or even further along, isn't it? It is. I think corporate affairs, government affairs, what is our role? What is actually our job? When we go into the office every day, what is our job? Our job is to make sure that our company can still be doing business successfully in five to 10 years time. It's about protecting that license to operate. It's about creating brands that people connect with, yes, But it's about making sure we are doing business in the right way. We are working with stakeholders in the right way so that we can still do business in the future. Yes. And and 
perhaps contrasting that to some of the short-termism that is, is one of those words that gets bandied around, but it does frustrate people. You know, yes, you can have success, you can make a whole load of money in the next couple of years, but if you really want to build faith in your brand, to build that connection that you're talking about with consumers and with stakeholders, because I think it's sometimes easy to forget that, you know, if you're a supermarket brand, MPs still shop in supermarkets, for example. So do the regulators. Um, And so quite often there's a crossover between who your customer is and who your stakeholders are. So if you're not keeping the faith with those, if you're not following through on your promises and fulfilling expectations, there can be a fatal undermining that, that you might not notice over your 18 month forecast, but over 10 years, you might really, really regret. Absolutely. And and don't forget your employees going back to them. They are also your consumers. And if they're telling you internally that they are expecting certain things out of your business and the way in which your business runs itself, then maybe that's something that they are passing on to their friends, to their family, to their circle. So your employees are, are your biggest advocates. They are your your inbuilt ambassadors, but if you're not using them to tell a story about your business, which is positive and which is showcasing all the great things you're doing, that's a huge missed opportunity for them. Absolutely, and loads of free research, loads of people coming back and telling you what they think of your product. That's brilliant. It is, I think there are so many small things that can be done um, on an advocacy side, which don't have to cost too much money. Um, but which can have a huge impact. If you think about, I don't know, your breakfast table in the morning, think about how many different packages you have on your breakfast table. You may have cereal packet, you may have jams or spreads, you've got loaf of bread, perhaps milk. There is a whole wealth of space for you to be telling your story to your customers. And that's every day without fail that's the whole family in houses all around the country now are you using that space properly are you thinking about how you can use what you're already doing to start telling that story i think that's a really key point the data in the report shows that about 40 percent of consumers that's two-fifths of consumers can't name a brand or a company that they think is responsible and sustainable And quite often I come across clients who feel it's a crowded field already, like the customer's been maxed out, like they can't remember any more sustainable brands. And that's just not true. But the household names, the names that they remember, that they repeat back when we ask them who they think is sustainable, aren't necessarily the brands that sustainability experts would name. In fact, we've compared the two and they're quite different, partly because the places where consumers learn about sustainability action are exactly what you've just called out. It's it's the packaging, it's the labels on the shelves, it's the websites, it's the emails that they've opted in to receive from you. And that a lot of these are free for you to do. Um, yes, there's an opportunity cost, there's other information you could put on there. But as we're able to show increasingly the commercial return of showing people that you are a responsible or sustainable business, there's a real reason to be making space on your packaging for this kind of data, for this values-driven, purpose-driven advertising. And again, sorry to harp on about uh, employees the whole time, but I think they're a real missed (laughs) opportunity. About 40% of people find a CEO a credible source of information. But that percentage rises up to 93% when it comes to people 
the people that, that you trust, your friends, your family. Who do employees have if they don't have friends and family? Why are you not using them as that trusted voice, that, that person who's like me, to tell that story for you? You shouldn't be rolling out your CEO um, to talk about your sustainability efforts. You should be talking or getting people who are closer to the action to tell that story. So whether that's employees, whether that's your farmers, whether that's your suppliers, your sales force, those are the guys who have the most power when it comes to trust and reputation. I completely agree. And I think really when we when we break down into this data, what we find is that if you're thinking about a new corporate advocacy campaign, there are really two kinds of sustainability topics out there. There's one where the customers think you're responsible. So uh, these are the areas like sourcing, looking after your employees. Here, you really do have to bring your A game. This has to be about best practice. This has to be about showing you're the best in field if you're gonna be talking about those things. But what the data also shows is this whole range of topics where they think the government is responsible. And here you have a lot more latitude for, frankly, beating on the government, demanding change, asking for better regulation, showing the change you're making, the progress you're making and telling a story about that and really engaging those employee and consumer advocates to talk on your behalf. And that's a great place to be building that rapport, building that values-based commitment from your consumers and your employees. We have to ask ourselves, why is it the consumers don't believe that we are responsible for things like animal welfare, for climate change, for sustainability? And is it because they don't trust organisations and businesses? Is it because they don't hear from us enough in those areas? And I, I kind of wanted to explore that a little bit because I think it's quite interesting. So we did get a whole load of data on this from the focus group. So we didn't just do the massive poll in the US and UK, we also did uh, 12 focus groups where we really got behind what's in this data and asked people why they think this. And yes, a lot of what undermines these scores is that the public doesn't believe that companies will act on the environment unless they're forced to. This makes it very complicated for them because a lot of them also don't really believe or trust the government will act in these areas. So that's one reason why everyone looks so pessimistic on on um, some of the big issues like climate change in particular. But yes, there is a lot more trust for smaller local businesses, but there is a worry that they may not have the capacity to make positive change. And then for the bigger, particularly global businesses, there's a lot of doubt about whether they really are prepared to potentially sacrifice some profit in order to make a positive difference. And it goes back to what you were saying about sort of short-termism, isn't it? I think we have a really huge responsibility as communicators or as corporate affairs, government affairs, in trying to shift the attitude of our leadership's teams to think about building a business that is thriving rather than just surviving. We can, all of us can operate by doing nothing at all, but it's such a short-term approach. In order to be a sustainable business, and I mean sustainable as in will survive for the long term, you need to be a leader. You need to prove that you're a leader. And companies really need to step up and stand for something. Otherwise, they're, they're always going to be on the back foot. They're always going to be following. They're always going to be fighting off legislation they don't want. When if they actually 
step forward and start taking a stand and start showing people what they believe and what they stand for, then actually some of those issues might go away and might not raise their heads in the first place. I think it makes decision making so much easier. Brutally, if you have a very clear idea of what it is that you are aiming to do as a business, then so many business decisions fall out of that because you have a a North Star. You don't have to look at reams and reams of data because you have a very clear idea of what you're trying to achieve to begin with. And I think that helps with that clarity of decision making can make making business decisions faster and more effectively, which in big companies is a a real problem. Um, So purpose-driven business can really help with that. But I think there is a broader point here about if you don't stand for something, you're always going to be at best second in a whole bunch of things. And that really does make you struggle on differentiation. It does. I think purpose-driven organizations we've heard it's a it's a buzzword almost now and everyone's talking about wanting to be a purpose-driven organization i think it goes a little bit deeper you've got to have a clear purpose but you also have to have a culture and values which back up that purpose otherwise you're going to have a huge misalignment with between what you say you do and what actually happens within the organization and leaders have got to use that purpose use those values as you say to make decisions but not just make decisions about whether they're going to reduce water waste, but also what are their hiring practices like? Uh, what are their offices like? Do they give maternity and paternity leave? You know, there are, there are a wealth of decisions which make up what a company stands for, which, if you then talk about them, will help with that reputation with your consumers, with governments, with policymakers. I th- I think that also brings us back to the point you mentioned earlier about employees and and what we've both said about you have to show progress. You don't necessarily have to be perfect. In fact, consumers would find that a bit suspect, but you do have to start somewhere. And the best place to start is internally because it's very hard to go out and talk credibly on a topic if you haven't sorted out your own house. So on any of these topics, if if there are companies listening to this thinking, oh God, we want to be doing stuff on this, but but a, a setting a purpose or a big sweeping vision just feels overly ambitious right now. Quite often what you need to do first is work out where you want to go. So I always advise companies to think about it as a Venn diagram of, you know, where can you make impact? What does your business model actually touch on? Because if you try and make impact in areas that aren't core to your business, quite often you come a cropper. What's your team actually interested in making an impact on? Uh, And then what do the people you care about care about? So what does your target consumer, your main stakeholder, what do they care about? And if you can find an issue that sits between those three circles and then say, right, where are we on this issue? Do we have a strong view? Should we have a strong view? And do we have a good story to tell about it? And then the next step is, do we have a good story to tell about it internally? So if you can do those two steps, then you're on a really strong foundation to start talking about this stuff externally. But you need to know why you're talking about it and you need to know that you've got a clean house before you start preaching to other people. I think that point about knowing where you are is absolutely key. How do you how can you set objectives and a vision if you don't know where you are to start with? It's like saying uh 
I want to go to London, but you don't know where you're starting from. So therefore, how do you know how you're going to get there? You need to know where you are. You need to audit your employees. You need to talk to your consumers. You need to talk to your key stakeholders. You need to understand how the business works. You need to have metrics and KPIs in place. Once you have that that foundation, you can then come to a decision about, okay, where do we want to go? How feasible is it for us to go there? What are the steps we need to take to get there? And then you can start putting in place your strategy. But unless you know where you're starting from, it's very difficult to figure out what that end point looks like. Mm, Yes, and much though the talk of metrics and uh, talking to consumers and employees is music to my ears as a researcher, I think I would also hasten to add to that that sometimes metrics can be really simple. If you already do an employee survey, you could stick a question on that. If you do any kind of marketing research, you could put some questions on that for your consumers. You could look at publicly available data and see where the public is on a particular issue. This doesn't have to be very complicated. In fact, I would say, if at all possible, start with it not being complicated because you're much more likely to stick with it. But I completely agree that you need to have a clear idea of where you're coming from. A lot of the time with our clients, we do very simple pulse surveys. So you're you're looking at three questions. It's done through workplace. It's done through email. It's super simple. It's free. But you are getting the data you need in order to start shifting behavior and start shifting the way in which people think. Um, So I would just advocate you don't have to, although Daisy would love it, you don't have to spend a fortune uh, (laughs) with with an external agency. This is something you can do internally at a very small scale. But as I said, unless you know where you're starting from, it's so difficult to show success and to show movement. Um, And so therefore, just even basic metrics will help you as you start to get the advocacy going. Oh, exactly. And you want to be able to, in two years show your boss what a difference you've made. So if you don't benchmark at the beginning, you also can't show off as much at the end. And we all like showing off. We do. Gold stars all round. (laughs) That's everything from us. A big thank you to my guest, Imogen Hitchcock from Beaumont. This episode brings us to the end of our season focused on sustainability and reputation. It was actually the first interview I recorded for this series, but I deliberately pushed it to the end because it is a really neat summary of why companies should care about sustainability at all and how to get started on the journey towards changing corporate behaviour and communicating more effectively so that you gain some credit for doing so. I'd love to hear from you which lessons particularly stood out. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll tell your colleagues and perhaps write us a review on your usual podcasting app. It really does help new listeners to find the show. We'll be taking a bit of a break now, so make sure you're subscribed so that you get notified when the next season lands. Thank you, as always, for listening to Why Everybody Hates You. And remember, you are not alone.